rub my face like a monster. Just touching my face just so luxuriously, just... Just like doing the thing I can't do outside. Uh, because of because of masks and safety protocols. Because let's take care of each other. But my yeah. face, so when I'm alone now, I'm just touching my face like all of the time. It's just so luxurious. Oh, yeah. Like, well, isn't it so nice? Oh, it's so good. It's so good to touch to touch my beautiful, beautiful face. <laughs> Do you pretend you're blind and then try and see what you look like with your hands? <laughs> I do go outside in the rain sometime. Uh, I, when I was younger, I saw that scene in Daredevil, and I'm like, well, that's the coolest thing I've ever fucking seen. I, I wish someone would see my face under the rain that way. Yeah. Uh, and see my t- and see it mixing in with my tears. That never happened, though. As far as you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's been raining pretty off and on, like, the last couple of days, which, uh, which is good. I've been getting out, getting some exercise, uh, finding exciting new places to smoke cannabis. But you can't buy it anywhere. You have to be given it unless you have a prescription. Which I do. Thanks, PTSD. You're good for something. (laughs) Hey, I have PTSD. And a bad back. Oh, hey, guess what? It doesn't matter. They'd give you one anyway. But Uh. you you nailed it. You got it. I've had my card for years. It's it's helped me immensely. But also, it's a a huge scam. and It's the easiest thing to do. Uh, Yeah. Like, like hop hop on that train. Uh, Or you could wait like 10 more months like a plebeian yeah i don't know what a plebeian is. i don't know either and i'm really afraid like oh, i hope i just said it again james listen look up plebeian and if it's a bad thing don't put it in the episode okay i was really like embarrassed for a second and then i was like no nah, it's just charlie i'll just <laughs> tell them i don't know what that is yeah it's like a type of dinosaur or something i don't know well, it's, it, we're misidentifying dinosaur species. It must be SJW, social justice weirdos. My name is Charlie. I use they, she pronouns. And I am Lenny Peppers. She, her pronouns. Uh, Lenny, how, how are you today? It's, it's, as we said, it's a rainy day here in Missoula. I'm doing good. Excellent. Uh, it's a nice, you know, dark and spooky evening that we're recording this. Yeah, thunder, lightning. And lest us not forget that there is an ongoing uh, global catastrophe that is keeping us all indoors. So why don't right. we spend a little bit of time with the father of Frankenstein, James Whale? Absolutely. Nice, nice lead into that. I am. I'm very excited because I think that the story of Frankenstein uh, or the modern Prometheus is is a a real touchstone for me my whole life. Like I've always sort of loved the mythos and I've loved the films and I've loved um, various adaptations of the book. Uh, and I like the book well enough too. I, and I really love the life of Mary Shelley uh, who wrote, you know, the first, her first draft, her first run at Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus when she was hanging out uh, in Lake Geneva uh, with her husband uh, and, uh, and Lord uh, George Byron. Oh yeah. And they had, and they, and they were there. There was an indoor year because there was a, a volcanic eruption that just fucked up the climate that year. Like just like one explosion on one part of the planet made that whole year like extra cold. Like there was it was I believe it was called the year without a summer. Much like we are now hiding away uh, due to ongoing things that happen across the world. 
Yeah, that was the year where everybody had to get together and just sleep with each other to stay warm all year, like just big groups of people, right? Yeah, it was it was a walking orgy if you had any kind of uh, any kind of pull. I mean, no, people were just DTF like all of the time. <laughs> Mary Shelley, of course, had sex on her mother's grave, her mother being the very influential uh, feminist um, Mary Wollstonecraft. And uh, if I ever the... get the chance, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to go find Mary Shelley's mother's grave. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, I was going to. I'm, OK, um, I'm <laughs> I'm probably not going to have sex in my mother's grave. God forbid. Um, but if we can find you, know, let's just go around and not. To, OK, speaking of orgies, let's just go and have a big orgy on the graves of fam- famous famous uh, feminist thinkers. And call mothers. that an art project. Yeah, we'll call it Mothers. <laughs> and yes. we just have a big... Famous big... feminist thinkers' mothers' graves. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> Great job on that. Uh, that. But no, Mary Shelley, OG awesome, invented the genre of science fiction. Um, one, of, one of the great, you know, people who changed culture forever. And all of that lead up is leading us to talk about the filmmaker of some of the adaptations of her film. This is James Whale. He was um, most notably known as a director of horror films, though he did he he himself did not like being associated with the horror genre, which I think is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, again, as a fan of horror films, to see like you know not like okay even like genre film I'll say is like uh, Alec Guinness like just fucking hated being in Star Wars. Like he was just like it was a payday, and it became his most well known thing, and it disgusted him that it was this like bullshit. Gleep Glorp space opera movie. <laughs> and and James Whale, too, was a little upset that he was associated with, with the horror genre. There's also a great novel about his life um, called uh, The Father of Frankenstein, also known as Gods and Monsters, which the book was then renamed Gods and Monsters, a time with the book written by uh, Christopher Bram, who also wrote uh, a really great book that was very influential uh, called Imminent Outlaws, which was about sort of the great queer writers. Um, I read that at a very, I think, at a point where I kind of needed a book like that. Um, So I'd recommend both of those books um, and also probably every movie that I'm recommending uh, here on out. So, so speaking of, so caveat, I might just be full of shit and basing this on a movie, but you know what? Do your own research. You know, don't, don't get all of your knowledge from a podcast, especially one as as goofy as this. (laughs) So he's born 22nd of July, 1889, uh, in Worcestershire, England. Um, he was from an incredibly poor family. He would talk about, you know, the, for, for weeks on end, like the meals they would have is just like bread and like whatever, like leftover, like fat and gristle they've collected from all of the meat they've been able to cook, just slathering it on top, you know, like a, like a, like an actual, like margarine. Uh, and he starts out uh in the military this is i think incredibly interesting is that he he goes into service during world war one and of course it, it's easy for us to look back uh, at world war one as you know, oh yeah that 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 minor thing but world war one i mean literally changed the world like completely changed the way that we saw you know all kinds of horrors but also you know mechanization um chemical warfare you know he saw he saw some shit. He became uh, he was arrested. Not arrested. That's a shitty way of putting what happened. He was captured by the Germans and put into a prisoner of war camp. 
during World War One. Uh, and I love this during his time uh, as as a prisoner uh, of the Hun, he discovered a love for theatrics and started putting on uh, productions and and plays uh, with the officers uh, to to entertain everyone to you know get them through this time until it goes through. Yeah, he developed a fond love for directing theater uh, while a prisoner. Weird. Yeah. Um, so this leads him, he, he leaves the service at the end of World War One, uh, having seen some shit. And he, uh, he gets into directing stage plays. Like, well, hey, you know, guess what I did during the war? Yep. People pointing bayonets at me and I was putting on original productions. <laughs> uh, so... Here's where we should really talk more about, so that's the basic sort of lead up to James Whale's creative life. But more importantly, I think to, to the purview of this podcast specifically is his sexuality. James Whale was a gay man and not in the way that we can like look back at subtext. James Whale at sort of the height of his power, which we're going to get to was an openly gay man in 1930s Hollywood at a time where in, in Hollywood and in California and in the United States, it was a crime. It was something you could be put in prison for, something you could be locked up and, and you know, all the terrible things that happen, you know, to, to people during times when uh, when malice and bigotry, you know, takes way of, of humanity and, and science. Openly gay. Here's where this sort of comes in is that he starts doing these, uh, these stage adaptations and uh, this eventually gets him to have like, well, hey, we are, we are Universal Studios. We are turning whatever we, we need to turn our studio around. We are the Lemleys. That's the name of our family that owns the story, studio, uh, Carl uh, Lemley Jr. I am <laughs> going to, from my official proclamation, I am going to bring up whatever we can. Let's get, hey, this play. Hey, James Whale, come over. You directed the stage play. Come direct the film version. Hey, it's a hit. We'd love you to make another film. Uh, we just made flippity billion 1930s dollars, which was not flippity billion, more like millions of dollars. Huge hit on this uh, Dracula Todd Browning just did. We're making another horror film. We're adapting, you know, we know you don't like horror, but we're adapting another classic novel, Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus. James Whale signs on and he directs um, one of the greatest movies of all time. It, it, it's one of those things where all of these parts come together in this sort of perfect, perfect movie. And well, I'll get to my rankings and things on this in a second. So, yeah. So this this uh, this gay British man um, casting several of his friends, you know, in, in a very, hey, we're putting on a show like, oh, hey, we worked in the theater. Colin Clive come beyond this. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, Boris Karloff, like Karla- Karloff. The Uncanny, Karloff the Great, one of the yeah. greatest, you know, film actors of all time, like one of my my all-time loves, has one of the greatest performances ever put to film. It's it still holds up. Huge hits. They ask him to do a sequel eventually. You know, he's able to go off and do some of the films, but eventually he's like, hey, let's get the gang back together. Bride of Frankenstein. And he's like, Yes, I like more creative control, and I have some ideas about the plot and cast. And he makes probably one of my like top like two films of all time, Bride of Frankenstein. A beautiful film that having knowing what we know about his life is absolutely stunning how fucking gay that movie is. It it it's a cast made up 
mainly of, of, of other like gay actors uh, and, and bisexual actors and people who were married to, to bisexual actors. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful film and I love it and I could talk about it forever, but we're talking about James Willis' career. This movie is, it's amazing. It, 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 it's beautiful. It's heart-wrenching. Alsa Lancaster as the eponymous Bride of Frankenstein is 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 beautiful and she had her own crazy life like she grew up in a vegetarian cult in, in england and, and she would write yeah she she wrote about in her memoirs about how like her her bit of like teenage rebellion would be like she like go to the store and spend like what little pocket money she had on like bullion cubes and just like <laughs> secretly like munch on bullion cubes uh to get Ooh. to get that meat she had a fascinating life she also hated being associated with this movie she hated <laughs> being the bride of frankenstein it she she did not care for 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 the fandom uh, around it. Love her to death. She's also a Mary Poppins. Check it out. Um, and so he he makes he makes this movie, and it's beautiful and it's brilliant and it stars Colin Clive who who was who was a gay man, uh, Ernest Thesinger who was this great um, British, uh, uh, just sort of character actor. This very well. I'll explain in a second. Um. He plays Dr. Pretorius, this, like, very, like, swishing, gay Mistopheles, like, very, like, tempting. It's like, good evening, uh, Henry Frankenstein, not Victor Henry Frankenstein. Uh, I know it's your wedding night, but come with me and let's make a life together. And then <laughs> they do. And it's weird. And it's a comedy. And it's great. Um, Ernest Thessinger would famously walk into Hollywood parties and say, uh, hello, everyone. Who's up for some buggery? <laughs> Just very flamboyant guy. Um Jumping ahead a little bit, there's another film that he made in this time, uh, James Whale made in this time, called The Old Dark House that was th- thought lost for many years. It was, it was rediscovered, uh, and I, I have it on, on DVD. I recently rewatched it. And, you know, another James Whale film, Ernest Thessinger plays a character named Dr. Femme. Mm-hmm. Uh, F-E-M-M-E, a film made in the 1930s. And so he is, consciously or subconsciously or not, he is he is sort of infusing his movies with sort of this camp sensibility this very high, highly stylized eye and this real understanding of, of rejection. And he keeps going and he keeps making movies for, you know, like 10 years. Like he has a fine direct, uh, career as a director. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he made Showboat. He made a version of Showboat that, that I think is regarded as, as the definitive Showboat. If, if that's a thing mm-hmm. anyone has any, any opinion on, good luck with that, nerds. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Uh, here's where thing, and, and you know, he was well off. He invested well, he and, uh, his partner, lo- like long-term, long-term partner, David Lewis, the two of them were together for like, 20 years. I want to say like the two of them were long-term partners, cohabitated, lived together up until, up until sort of the last years of James Whale's life. Uh, he, he suffered a stroke, uh, in 1956 that that left him pretty pretty rough uh could could barely get around in, in a lot of pain and then a series of, of further strokes kind of complicated things and then uh he left a suicide note and drowned himself in his pool oh yeah very very tragic end and in fact a lot of people associated with his life were devastated the Christopher Brown book Father Frankenstein which, which again is a, is a novel and not based entirely on fact, has some posits that it might be, he may have been murdered. I don't believe that. His, his suicide notes, uh, which is available to read online if 
you have any interest in that, you know, and, you know, trigger warning, it is someone's suicide note, but maybe trigger warning around this too. Skip ahead a few seconds, but, you know, he talks about, you know, right to die, which I think is a very important issue, which I, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, we are conscious people, we are conscious of making important decisions for ourselves. And I think at some point too, it's also important that we ch- can choose that if we are medically, you know, unable to live, you know, that life, you know, mm-hmm. not free of pain, unable to do those things. I'm just going to say it. I'm a big proponent of a uh, right to die. Throwing mm-hmm. that out there. And so his, his career has been reexamined. Um, but, uh, another, and so he did those three films, which I mentioned, um, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein and the old dark house. Uh, and there's one more movie that I, I should have mentioned before, but I want to sort of get through his sort of his story. He also did the original invisible man, which much ah. like Bride of Frankenstein, also a very funny movie, also a very camp movie. Mm-hmm. And it's just astounding and very, I don't know. We know what we know about 1930s Hollywood. We know what we know about the 1930s. We know what we know about classic cinema. We know what we know about, you know, Frankenstein or whatever. But his life and the life that he led, lived, you know, he was not, as as someone described, he was not a screaming from the rooftops homosexual, whatever that means. But he was someone who who was openly gay. He openly lived with with his long term partner. Mm-hmm. They had a life together, and that, and how that and everything that he had would have had to deal with, having to do that at that weird impossible time, influences our readings of his film. So subconsciously or not. He put into his films what he put into them. And and we have the ability of hindsight to look and, and recognize and, and see and see tropes and see characteristics and see coding. You know, this famous you know, thing we love yeah. talking about coding. And and just to know what he went through and to know that he left us this incredible trove of of art that he was, you know, he he used from his own experiences, his own, you know. Not to mention his experiences in World War One, where you know World War One happened around him, and he's he's always been one of my favorite just historical figures. He's he's so astonishing the life that he that he had, and you know regardless of his feelings of the films that he was associated with, he is associated with them. And as a lover of horror films and as a queer horror you know horror fan, a core horror fan, if you will. I am I am just always so touched to you know to see the influence of people like me not ex- you know people outside that spectrum people outside the cishet nightmare everyone's yeah. in and it it just it feels good to see myself in that way be able to recognize people have overcome so many incredible things at impossible times and made some of the most iconic images ever put to film Absolutely. Um, I do I do have to say though that like every time you and I make something, I'm worried that that will be the thing that I'm famous for and not all of like the activism work that I do and all of the other <laughs> like it's yeah. like the spooky, 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 spooky movie show is what I'm famous for. Like <laughs> Let me let me just say I officially want to uh first say you're welcome. And secondly, apologize <laughs> for really for really dragging down an otherwise like stellar 
like career and activism, you know, with with <laughs> tangible, you know, changes seen in our local community and in my in my life and all these things. Uh, but I am thankful you're hanging out and taking like weird pictures of me in my underwear, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, anyone who lets me do that, I'm like game. But I mean, you know, I I don't really I I was mostly kidding. I don't really care what uh, people remember me for, I guess, as long as they remember me. I am looking forward to being a tick on the on the hide of history. Just getting my exactly. little little pictures in some way. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I do I cool know. shit. You do that's cool what, shit. Uh, we that's do what cool all shit. All the journals we keep, all the physical letters we've been writing everyone, but not sending because we need them for the archives. Exactly. Um, I have I have a big old hope chest full of uh, full of love letters and general correspondence that a yeah. lot of people are going to be really embarrassed to be put in a museum one day. Sorry, nerds. <laughs> Or if you remember correctly, uh, from a few episodes ago, uh, we're opening the Charlie McCorn section of the Missoula Public Library. Oh, that's right. I forgot uh, that my <laughs> my my uh, my accomplishments in the field of library sciences were finally being recognized. Yeah, and I will be. Uh, I will have the memorial dumpster out back. Lenny Pepper's <laughs> memorial dumpster. Uh, you know what? Here's the thing. You know what I love? The dumpster that is this podcast. And, <laughs> and uh, so this is, so all of this is, so James Whale, all of this is new to you. T- tell me yeah. your thoughts. Tell, tell me what, what stands out. Specifically where you're talking about like how you enjoy like seeing somebody stepping outside of the heteronormative like patriarchal American point of view in like early film history uh, really, really speaks to me because like at the same time in history, uh, when I watch films from that age, I definitely don't get to see a lot of representations of myself as, well, not at all as a queer Native American woman, but even just as a Native American woman from that time like or even just as a native american so uh, i can understand like the importance of having someone like this to like look back into history on and so that's what i really love about this podcast is being able to bring these people um back up from history and remind everyone that uh you know it doesn't take that much digging to like find representation as far back as you know, you're willing to dig. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and the thing that is interesting is like, there are some times that you have to dig, you know, we talked about, on, you know, on the show before, you know, mm-hmm. you know, different people that we had to like dig into the lives of, or, or, or dig into the topics of, cause there's not a lot of information out there about it, mm-hmm. but it's, it's the ones where you don't have to dig are so interesting. The ones oh, yeah. where, where it's just, it's just there, which I've always liked. Um, as a lazy person, first of all, like the least amount of work that I would have to do. <laughs> uh, I love the Bride of Frankenstein, the like iconic imagery of that, like stripe going up the hair and everything. It's not only like, um, fun to watch, but it's always been like aesthetically pleasing to me, like the entire film. Yeah. It's, it's like I said, it's one of 
it's one of my favorite movies ever. It it is. I've I've hosted screenings of it. I've I've showed it to countless people. And my favorite, like my favorite part about that movie, like one of my favorite parts about that movie, and maybe one of the reasons that I like it, as someone that likes to make people uncomfortable, and I like to fuck with people. I like that moment when you're like in a crowd watching this movie. Like, well, we're seeing this classic movie we none of us have seen before. And that audience reaction, again, miss movie theaters, but that audience reaction of like when the audience audience realizes it's a comedy. Yeah. It's and that sort of like, like, okay, well, here's this serious, like, ooh, movie and the laughter. And I appreciate that. I I really like that. You know, the, the horror comedy is my favorite. You know, that's my favorite blend of horror, you know, yeah. like I like, I like all kinds of horror, but give me a, a good capital G and I have, I have impossible tastes to, 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 uh, yeah. to meet. I have, I have impossible tastes. I have, I have, I have been to the mountain. I have, I have, I have eaten the fruit <laughs> of, of the great films. Bring it nerds. Um, I got to quit calling these, I got to quit calling our listeners nerds. They're, they're probably nice people. There are probably some jocks in there. I bet the I bet the jocks hate this show, much oh, like, like, or maybe, or maybe how they tolerated me in high school. They'll just tolerate me on this podcast. Uh, we did have uh, like some passive aggressive like jock response to this show, where there was another podcast who, uh, like I said, passive aggressively like posted a. Um, because we talk a lot about indigenous and native issues on this show. Sure. Uh, like a episode specifically about Native American team names, uh, which I had planned on doing several weeks ago, but because they had posted that, like I, re- I refused to complete, like I don't want to acknowledge that. I don't want to get into like any of this with any of like these people who are like trying to, you know, so, <laughs> but it was super weird, like that they would. That these, like, they're like, oh, these social justice weirdos. Let's post this let's, <laughs> about it. Let's, yeah, let's, hey, everyone, look at this thing that I don't like. If you don't like it, too, then we obviously are right about something. I I kind of hate how the internet has just become like, and hey, James Whale, I'm sorry you're getting bundled in this conversation. I hate how the internet has really just become like, there are like five websites that all do basically the same thing. And, and it's just, I don't know, it creates bubbles around people, regardless, I think, of political ideology or, or even sometimes like, like intellect. Like, I think it, it insulates people if we're only, you know, not saying that we need to like, let, let shitty bigots talk. Like, no, deplatform these assholes. It's the only way that (laughs) they learn. But what I'm saying is that there is there is more nuance out there than I think the internet is really letting us see in the world, and I think that nuance is maybe what uh, what we need right now. Solving you know what? all of the problems. Do you know what I just heard you say? What's that? Start throwing some bricks. Start throwing some bricks. Uh, this has been Social Justice Weirdos. Uh, thanks for tuning in. My name is Charlie, and I'm Lenny. And as we said, uh, first of all. Let me just say, sorry that I rambled for 30 minutes. I just get really excited about uh, old gay horror films. Uh, but yeah, that brings the end of this year podcast. I think everyone should get excited about old gay horror films. Yeah. Hey, everyone, get excited about old gay horror films, uh, which, hey, patent pending. We're going to put that on a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs>
Thanks for listening. And remember, if you can't do anything, you can at least throw a brick. Good night. Night.